Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. The weather has been beautiful, and the sun is shining bright again. But for some folks, things still feel dark. On Wednesdays, we talk about wellness, and that often means we're discussing mental health. Today, I want to learn more about support groups around Minnesota where people get together and talk about the challenges they're facing and their mental health. They're called peer-to-peer support groups, and there is a need for them. A few weeks ago, you may recall, I had a show about men's mental health with a guest named Bill Deckis. He's the co-founder of Face It Foundation, and that's a Minnesota organization that offers peer-to-peer support groups for men to talk openly about their struggles. Well, during that show, our guest says that FaceIt got about 40 inquiries from people looking for help. We all need someone to talk to during tough times, and it helps when someone can relate to what you're going through. So this hour, as I talk with guests, I want to hear from you too. How has talking to someone who has a relatable lived experience help you during tough times? Have you had an experience with a peer support group. The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, 651-227-6000. You can also call 800-242-2828. Tweet me at Angela Davis MPR. Let's bring in our guest. In the studio with me, I have Chelsea Shoup. Chelsea is a trainer for the Connection Recovery Support Group with the National Alliance on Mental Illness Minnesota, or NAMI for short. She also co-leads facilitator training for NAMI. Good morning, Chelsea. Nice to meet you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Bill Dobbs is joining us. Bill facilitates the Addiction Busters peer-to-peer support group at the Twin Cities Men's Center, and he's the editor of the organization's newsletter called Men Talk. He's a former board member of the center. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Thanks, Angela, for having me. Thank you for your time. Hi, Chelsea. Hello. Hi. So, Chelsea, I'll start with you. Uh, How do you describe uh, what a peer-to-peer support group is? I I gave a brief description, but what am I talking about here? Yes. And and I'm going to talk specifically from the perspective of NAMI support groups, which Mm -hmm. are the same across the nation. Okay. So uh, you come to a group or you join the group online and you're with a bunch of peers, your facilitator is also a peer that has been trained to facilitate groups. Meaning someone who leads the discussion. Yes. Gets started, yeah. right? They, you start with reading. We have some group guidelines that we go through. We have some principles of support, which are universal truths that we all abide by and agree on. Then we move into people being able to share a little quick snippet of how they've been doing recently. And then most of our group time is spent uh, just talking and diving deeper into some of the topics that people brought up. So can peer-to-peer support groups uh, have a specific focus or a specific age group? Can they be sort yeah. of tailored to a, a certain thing? We do. We have different age groups. We have young adult groups and adult groups. So for people with mental health, there's also various ones for family members of people with mental health. So maybe um, parents of a young person yeah. or a spouse. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We also have groups that are catered to specific, potentially marginalized communities. We have a group for LGBTQ+. We have a group for uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color. We have different groups along those lines as well. So how is this different than going to a therapist? So when you go to a therapist, you're talking to a professional. This is someone who has had years of medical training. Uh, When you're coming to a peer-to-peer group, you're with 
uh, a facilitator who has had extensive training from NAMI. But really, everyone that you're talking to there is just people that have their own experiences with mental illness. And whether those experiences are exactly the same as yours or slightly different, they know where you're coming from and they know what you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. So it has that uh, effect of, I'm not alone. Exactly. And so how is that powerful? You know, when you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people that know that you're struggling, there's something powerful about that. There's something that makes you feel like you can breathe and you can be yourself. And that doesn't happen everywhere. It happens with these groups. Bill, why do you think peer-to-peer support groups are so powerful? Is that how you would describe those conversations? Yeah. Well, they are powerful. Um, I would say... From the Twin Cities Men's Center, we have, um, in our support group guidelines, one of the things we say is that we want to create a safe place and we want people to be able to share feelings and experiences to facilitate self-acceptance and personal growth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the power is that for a lot of men especially, we can feel lonely and isolated and there's so many messages about you know, being strong, tough, being a provider. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy. And a lot of people feel that that they're failing at it or they feel shame. And so if they can find a place of their peers, not with some uh, therapist who they're paying a lot of money, who has a one-up, one-down position, but their peers where they can feel they're accepted, they're safe, and they can talk about, whatever is going on with them, then that can help them really connect and get to a better place. I'm just visualizing maybe people standing up and just feeling like the load is lighter. Like, do, do you see that after the, you know, the end of a session that, that folks really just feel better because they've, they've, they've expressed it, they've gotten it out? Yeah, standing up or perhaps, you know, just resting more easily into the chair or the sofa, you know, depending on, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. The setting. Um, and so what kinds of groups uh, does the Men's Center offer? Are there some, you know, special types? So or? we do have a, yeah, we do have a variety. We have a general men's group. We have a divorce and uncoupling group. Mm-hmm. We have addiction busters, which I mm-hmm. co-facilitate. We have gay issues. We have a healthy sexual boundaries group. We have healing from sexual abuse uh, which is important uh, often for men that gets ignored that men experience mm-hmm. sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And then we have an, a sexually evolving male group for men who are exploring uh, gender fluidity and different boundaries like that. All right. Well, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about peer support groups and, and, and our mental health. And I want to know, how has talking to someone who has a relatable lived experience helped you during tough times? My two guests uh, are going to tell us more about peer support groups that they've worked with, that they've been participants in, and that they now uh, help lead these discussions. Uh, but I want to hear your stories. Call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand or eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Chelsea and Bill were already starting to get some phone calls, so I want to bring in our listeners into this conversation. I want to take this phone call in Edina. This is Kyle on the line. Good morning, Kyle. And what did you want to share with us? Hi, Angela. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, call in and share uh, in an informal peer support group that uh, I have. So. I've got two uh, daughters under two, and after my first was born, a few buddies of mine who also have uh, young ones uh, started the dad chat, 
and it's just uh, kind of a chat group that we have that we can share the trials and tribulations of raising kids and kind of toss around ideas and, you know, frustrations. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's a really helpful thing for all of us. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're happy we have it. And so, uh, Kyle, so the benefit to you is that um, maybe – I guess that self acceptance that that Bill was just talking about, and it makes it just easier to approach things. Have you found it changed? Has changed your behavior in any way? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, everybody's got different ideas on how to raise kids, and you know, you'll come up into you know tough moments here and there, and it's uh, it's good to provide that kind of perspective that like you're not the only one dealing with it. Like, uh, yeah, so it's, I, I think mm-hmm. it's a really helpful helpful thing to have. All right. Thank you. That's Kyle and Edina. Um, and Bill, what do you think about that? Uh, a group of men, uh, dads getting together to get some uh, emotional support and advice for parenting. Yay, Kyle. <laughs> um, yes, it's absolutely, it's absolutely important, especially for, um, I think, you know, peer-to-peer support groups, you know, fancy name, right? But it can be uh, your running buddies. It can mm-hmm. be friends who go to a game it can be a book group it could be your church group really you know people you feel safe with with whom you can share you get together regularly and so you you can share like like i say the whole toolkit of uh how to uh survive and and how to find um well, support. Bill, I want to hear more about your personal story. I, I, I said that you facilitate the Addiction Busters support group. Uh, what is your story of addiction? Well, uh, actually, I started at the Men's Center uh, years ago going to a divorce uncoupling group, mm-hmm. and uh, that was very helpful. And then in the early uh, 2000s, um, I was running into uh money issues, credit card issues, really racking up a lot of debt and really out of control with that and hiding it, not being honest about it. And so I went to this group at the Men's Center, which covers a whole range of whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's, uh, you know, heroin or meth, whether it's smoking, whether it's eating, it covers a whole range of addictions because addictions have more in common then they are different from mm-hmm. each other. And so in my case, what I found is that underneath sort of the presenting thing is really what the issue was, what my feelings were about how I should be a provider, what my feelings were about how I should look a certain way and be a certain way. And so what I learned is if I just feel my sensations in my body hook them up with emotions, those feelings, name them to other people, then I would I would find that, oh, I'm not alone. Um, other people have gone through this. They offer ideas, their experience, and, uh, and, and I was able to, con- you know, to, to heal. Is there some healing that occurs just from talking about it and sharing it and getting it out? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, the foundational of all wellness is trying to seek a balance. And so healing in some sense is being in balance with all the, you know, the slings and arrows. Mm. Um, 
And so you were you started as a participant. Chelsea, you your uh, background too, you started as a participant in a peer-to-peer support group as a college student. So yes. what was going on that led you to seek out help and to, to sit with others and talk? Yeah, so uh, growing up, I... I felt fine and and everything felt in control. And as I got older, as I went through high school, which can be very tough for people. High school. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, as I as I went through that, I noticed I was struggling a little bit more. And it wasn't until I got to college that I felt like, you know, I wasn't there with my family. I didn't have the usual support that I did. And that big change is what uh, ended me up in the hospital. And that was when I realized, okay, I do not have the skills, the coping skills that I need right now. Why were you in the hospital? I had actually attempted suicide. And so what happened after you're hospitalized? Was there a diagnosis or what helped? Yeah, so that was actually the first time that I received a diagnosis and received medication. A diagnosis for, what was it? Depression and anxiety. Okay. And so that experience then led to you participating in peer support groups? Yeah, exactly. So being away from my family, I thought I need someone that I can talk to. And I didn't necessarily feel at the time that I could talk to my friends about it. So I went to a peer-to-peer support group that was on campus that was run by NAMI. And it was just amazing. Who you know? else was in that group? It was it was right on campus. So it was mm-hmm. all college students. And it was actually facilitated by college students as well. And what did you all have in common? We all had a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it was it was across the board. You know, what mental illness we had, it didn't really matter. We all had similar experiences as college students trying to live in a world that wasn't necessarily made for people with mental illnesses. So again, I want to ask, how was how are those conversations different than the conversations that you were having with a therapist? What's the difference? Yeah, I think there's something about the people having lived through that experience or a similar experience mm-hmm. that really helps you see, oh, they came out on the other side of it. I can too. Powerful. Yeah. And a therapist may be, maybe it's more uh, problem solving, maybe like, absolutely, like they get to know you. And like, from what I know about you, maybe this, here's some, some advice on how to approach situations. Absolutely. And therapists are good across the board. You don't need to have a mental health issue to right. see a therapist. People have problems and therapists can help them deal with it. But sometimes therapists don't have their own personal experience with a mental mm-hmm. health issue. And and getting that perspective from other people that have those experiences can be really beneficial. And is that l- what led you to then like, okay, this helped me. So now I want to get training to facilitate and lead some of these conversations. Yeah. I mean, I was in college and doing it. And then when I got out of college, it was, you know, I was ready to find a different group. And I was like, we need more of these groups. Let me help. And it was uh Love at first sight, I guess. (laughs) Let's take more phone calls from listeners. Uh, We're talking about uh, peer support groups and mental health, mental wellness. And I want to know how has talking to someone who has a relatable lived experience helped you during tough times? Or have you ever had any experience with a peer support group? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's go to uh, Eagle Bend and uh, talk with Jody. Hi, Jody. Good morning. It's oh, I'm I'm excited about this. Um, I'm actually the founder and executive director of Wellness in the Woods. We are a peer-run organization across Minnesota. We have 
50 people who have lived experiences with mental health challenges, substance use challenges. Uh, a number of our folks have uh, also been incarcerated, and so we have a number of skills and experiences and offer an overnight warm line where anybody can call. They don't need to have a diagnosis or even identify who they are. Um, during the day, we offer a virtual peer support network, and then uh, several evenings during the week, we offer uh, peer support uh, services that are virtual, mm-hmm. and so we, we match up our certified peers with their skills, and they're, they're able to support anybody who wants to call. There's no eligibility requirements. Um, anybody who just thinks that they could benefit from talking to somebody who has an experience like them is is welcome to participate in that. And so we um, we also do peer support in county jails and with the Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's some great statistics in um, in peer support that show that individuals who get are involved in peer support groups have a much lower um, possibility of utilizing more intense services like hospitalization or emergency rooms. So not only do we know that it works, because for people like myself with uh, lived experience, we know that working is really important for us to stay well. And so now we get to use what used to look like um, a real, maybe even a character flaw, to help support other people. It's, mm. it's phenomenal. We're just celebrating our 10th anniversary. So, Jody, you used the, the word warm line. Tell me, what's the difference in a warm line and a hotline, right? What, what is that for folks who've never heard right. that term? So, what is it? So a, a hotline is really, and a crisis line is if you are in crisis. And we actually get a number of referrals from the crisis lines because the individuals are really just looking for somebody to talk to, right. to, to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And so when I share about what a warm line is, we tell people you can call if your dog is sick, if you burned your brownies, if you're <laughs> if it's if it's another blizzard. Right. It doesn't it doesn't matter right. if you are just if there's something. And w- so when we started doing this in twenty. 16, the warm line, the folks that we talked to said, boy, we really need this overnight. That's when there aren't other services available to us. So so you can take phone calls. Yeah. Yep. All night long, we take those and our staff go through a process in uh, Minnesota has certified peer specialists. Mm -hmm. So all right, Jody, I want to get to more phone calls. But again, it's uh, wellness in the woods. Correct? is the name of the pro- program, Wellness in the Woods. Okay, I think we let uh, Jody go there. Uh, let's take another phone call. Thank you, Jody. Uh, in Fargo, we have uh, Carol on the phone, I believe. Carol, uh, are you there? I am. Hi. What did you want to share with us as we talk about mental health, wellness, and um, the value of support groups, peer support groups? Oh, my. Uh, five stars goes out to Nami. Um, <laughs> way back in the day, because I'm an old fart now, um, way back in the day uh, when I had a young family and uh, my brother came home from the service. Um, he'd been hospitalized and diagnosed with a serious mental illness. Um, I didn't know what, where to turn and what to do. And I learned about NAMI 
And I got some other people together, a bunch of us got together, and we decided that we had to have a group, a support group up there. And it was wonderful because, as someone else mentioned, you feel free to talk about it with other people. Ours was family to family. And 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 it was it, it, the, the thing I liked about it best was that there were so many resources available, lists of books you could read, lots of pamphlets and brochures, and and people who cared a whole bunch about what you were going through. And so this and was a group for could, for family members who are supporting someone with a, a mental health condition in the family. Yes, mm-hmm. my brother was profoundly mentally ill. And and he was my only sibling, and I just um, the NAMI family to family was the tie that bound <laughs> bound mm-hmm. me together uh, with other people and with myself, so that I could um, manage through all of the crises and mm-hmm. adventures of of living with someone who is so sick. Oh, thank you, Carol, for uh, sharing that story. And let's take another phone call. In Minneapolis, we have Anne on the phone. And Anne, what do you want to tell us as we talk about uh, peer support groups? Hi, Angela. Thanks so much. I mm-hmm. hope you're doing well. I'm, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just calling in. I'm um, a member, a, a recent member of Al-Anon, and uh, it was mm-hmm. actually recommended to me by my therapist. Mm-hmm. And I experienced a lot of hesitation, a lot of resistance. Um, to even going to a meeting because I I had it in my mind that that wasn't for me, that my experience wasn't as bad as other people, and um, when I when I finally went at her <laughs> her recommendation, uh, I I found the exact opposite to be true. And you know, speaking to the topic that you addressed earlier of um, having conversations with people that have had similar life experiences, um, children of alcoholics or or um, um, loved ones of, of people with addiction. It was incredibly eye-opening and humbling, and uh, I really just want to stress that anyone who's interested or needs that peer support, um, just give it a go, and I think you'll find that it is for you. So you, you speak of there was some resistance at first. You're like, I don't know if I mm-hmm. want to do this, but it sounds like now you love it. Yeah, I, I found it to be an incredibly... Just, just an incredibly rewarding experience, being able to connect with other people and realize that you're not all alone in, mm-hmm. in whatever feelings that you're feeling. And, you know, whether that's a dad support group or something for addiction, I think that it's probably pretty similar for a lot of folks. Thank you, Anne, for sharing that. Um, Bill, I have a, Bill, I have in my notes here that, that you've had people just wait outside the doors of the men's center because they were afraid to walk in. Now, they made the step, yes. they went, but then they're like, I don't know. What do you say to someone who is, is hesitant about, you know, participating? Well, that, that's really, I was just thinking that when Anne was sharing, um, one of the things we say, we have both online and in-person and then hybrid groups. And... Uh, one of the things we say is, first, you don't have to say anything. I think for a lot of guys, they think, oh, my God, I'm going to have to come in here. I'm going to have to share my life story. Um, I don't know what to say. I'm just, you know, things are messed up, but I don't know how to talk about it. And the way guys are competitive sometimes, you know, it's not going to feel safe. So we say, you can just come in and sit. If you want to just sit, listen. You don't even have to use your real name. You can be anonymous. Um, we do ask for a donation, you know, but you can do that without paying anything either. 
Um, that's enough. Or you can go online and you can just listen. And often what we'll find is that uh, guys will show up and they'll kind of check us out. And then after two times, three times, they'll start opening up because they realize it's completely safe and confidential. Nothing is shared outside the group. Mm-hmm. Um, we really encourage the language of feelings um, so they can start like connecting to them where they're really at. Mm-hmm. And then from there, grow to a, a better place of health and wellness. Chelsea, do people have to talk when they go to a peer support group? You know, it's encouraged, but no, people do not have to talk. We do have people that do the same thing that Bill mentioned where they come in, just sit and listen and see, is this is this safe? Is this is this where I want to be talking? And they always find out that they they do want to talk. Usually by the end, they got something to say, but they are not required, no. And so what's the value then, even if I, in that initial meeting, I go and I just listen, is there still something productive that came from that? Absolutely. You're listening to other people handle problems that you may have gone through, and you can gauge how, how you're feeling based off of that. You also just still get to understand that you're not the only person in the world struggling. Look at all these people. I think something you said earlier is that uh, in a peer support group, seeing someone um, share their, hearing someone share their story and then talk about being in a different place, making mm-hmm. progress, moving forward. So for someone attending, you can see that you can get through a dark time. Absolutely. It gives you hope, mm-hmm. hope for your own future. Bill, you agree with that? You've seen that, Bill? Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I can't emphasize the feeling of the safe place, even if, uh, I can't emphasize that enough, um, even if you're not talking, uh, if you can feel not judged. I think one of the issues, and I, I think therapy is great, and I've been to therapists and all that, but one of the issues can be is it's sort of a one-up, one-down, and somebody feels, oh, my God, I'm going to be told what to do. And if you can be in a place where you're not judged, you just are. Whatever you are, you're not judged. Um, That's okay. I mean, one of our guidelines is support is not the same as approval, which is an interesting thing in that um, you can be supported in some sense, even if you think people are not going to approve of who you are or what you're doing. And just showing up is crucial. I want to take another phone call from a listener before we go to a news break. We're talking about uh, peer support groups and and being able to sit and talk with people who have uh, relatable lived experiences. And how does that help us? Uh, Or have you, uh, you know, have you had an experience with a peer support group? Or maybe it's just a person? Like, is there just this person that you talk to, and it helps you because you uh, have an understanding of a of of a mental health challenge. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Let's take this phone call from Moorhead, Minnesota. Kelsey's on the phone. Hi, Kelsey. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. What did you want to tell us? I wanted to share, um, first of all, that I'm a therapist and I really appreciate you emphasizing the value of mental health and wellness. And secondly, your point on lived experience is really resonating with me. Um, It is Autism Acceptance Month. 
April, mm. and we, yes. in my personal experience, are learning about my child's neurodivergent characteristics um, and learning to understand his sensory challenges and some of what can best help him thrive in the world. What I have found so valuable is experts, pediatricians, or or other just lay people who have neurodivergent characteristics themselves sharing with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that so many groups or um, even even assessors are not lived experience educators. <clears throat> and right. I have found it to be especially helpful to talk with somebody who gets it. Mm-hmm. So are, are, do you have some parent support groups uh, that you are, are part of there in Moorhead? No, I'm looking for them. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that there are other listeners out there who can point me in the direction of neurodivergent affirming peer groups, or pediatricians, or just places to start. It feels like um, neurodivergence is still very pathologized, and so I'm not finding a lot of folks who have that lived experience and want to affirm that identity and mm-hmm. find ways to adapt. Um, and so, Kelsey, I, I can just help see me that with, being valuable for Help family. me with, with this. What does uh, Tell me more about the, the behavior. Is, is it your, your, your son or daughter you're talking about? It's my son. Your son. Yeah. What so, does the, the yeah. behavior look like when, when you say neurodivergent? What does that, how does that show itself? Yeah, so he, um, I have noticed that he does not um, appreciate <laughs> transitions or quick changes. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're learning as a family how to accommodate his needs with, with a lot of um, guidance and, and preemptive work, like a, like a visual schedule, for example. Um, it, it can often look like sensory meltdown. Mm-hmm. Some people might interpret them as tantrums, but mm-hmm. um, this is involuntary. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this, this is being dysregulated. So I'm trying to help my my kiddo um, see the signs when he's approaching dysregulation, teach him some coping strategies, and then separately, my partner and I are hoping to find other people who go through this themselves. Um, who might have kids who are experiencing this, or we're also looking for a pediatrician who gotcha. themselves identifies as neurodivergent, but also sees our son as a whole person. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for, rather than, for des- yeah. describing that for me. I, I appreciate that. And, and um, I want to start with you, Chelsea, there. Uh, you're working with NAMI, mm-hmm. uh, the Fargo-Moorhead area of the state. What, what are we finding in terms of resources uh, as we get outside of the metro area here in the Twin Cities? What's available Yeah, there's still plenty of resources out there. It really takes people that want to start something in those little further away locations to come to NAMI and say, this is something that we need. And NAMI will help make it happen. What should Kelsey do? I think she could contact NAMI and see what they have in terms of mental health or just mental ability support groups out in Moorhead. There might already be some. I, mm-hmm. I'm not memorized the entire schedule. Right. But asking, just asking. That's, yeah. Because that's part of what you all do is you try to help uh, place people with services near them. Exactly. Right. We try to connect right. people with what they need. Right. And Bill, what did you hear uh, in Kelsey's description? And just, uh, I can imagine as a parent, um, maybe some of the isolation and just how, how difficult the, this uh, is for her. 
Absolutely. I actually wrote some notes, and if I uh, <laughs> find any uh, neurodivergent peer support groups, I'll send it that way. But I also want to say the Men's Center, even though the Twin Cities Men's Center, you know, is Twin Cities in the title, we have men from all around the country who come to our the online groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, one of the blessings, I guess, out of the pandemic is that we went full virtual for a while. And we have regularly men from in the upper Midwest, but, you know, as far away as California and, and uh, New York, uh, Florida, that sort of thing, um, coming. So I would, I would suggest checking online. It's, you know, uh, they're probably, hopefully, there's a neurodivergent peer group someplace. Um, it may just be online right now, but... Maybe Sometimes Kelsey could start then, her own. I mean, she's kind of made it absolutely. known. She's, you know, she lives in the Moorhead area. Maybe, I would do, are you seeing that happen, that people just start informally their own groups? That's how the Twin Cities Men's Center started, mm-hmm. you know, 46 years ago. A bunch of guys saying, you know, women are getting their act together. And yes, saying, we are. Enough is enough. We are, Bill. And, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Thank you. And the, the bunch of men got together and said, you know what? Maybe we should heal ourselves. Maybe mm-hmm. we should do something. And so that's that's exactly what just, you know, a bunch of people getting together and starting their own. All right. Right now on the phone, I have Shanna Mulvahill, and she is the executive director of Mental Health Minnesota. Good morning to you, Shanna. Good morning. Hi. Uh, so a 700% increase since 2019. What do you make of that? What's going on? Well, we've... Um you know, we've overall seen just a, a, a lot more need in youth and young adults. We've seen, you know, the U.S. Surgeon General talk about it as well, you know, really um, calling it a, a youth mental health crisis that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we've really seen is, is uh, since the pandemic began and, and really since then, um, our screenings, our online screenings tend to be very high, um, in particular for youth and young adults. So overall, you know, we in 2019 we were we were having maybe 400 to 500 um, screenings completed every month. Um, in January of this year, we topped 4,000, and about two thirds of those um, generally always come in from those who are under the age of 24. And so we've just seen a significant increase in um, in youth taking these screenings. Um, I think you know. You know what's contributing to that is is certainly you know a, a lot of stressors, um, mm-hmm. but also I think a growing willingness by by youth to to ask for help um, and to to seek out information and, and resources. So, uh, who are these teenagers and young adults? How would you describe them as a group, and 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 what do they describe that they're struggling with? Well, the most common screening um, that's uh, that's taken on our website is the depression screening. So that generally is about about half of our screenings uh, each month are um, screenings for depression. And so, you know, what we what we see in terms of of what they say is contributing to their mental health, it's it's relationships, it's um, it's school, it's you know uh, financial concerns maybe for their family, um, mm-hmm. it's world events. Um, you know, so I think what we're what we're seeing is is um, a, an increased interest in. I don't know if if this is something I can handle on my own anymore, and I'm not sure if I should ask for help. Um, and so, uh, you know, they take us a, a screening, and and hopefully then then we'll take that next step if they if they could use some additional support. 
Uh, we talked about uh, a warm line earlier. Mental Health uh, Minnesota offers a warm line, and this is a, a phone line people can call or text or, or chat to get some help uh, before it's a crisis. And, and how popular is that uh, service, Shanna? It's um, it's grown considerably. Uh, so we started the warm line in 2015, and um, and we now regularly take you know around 15,000 calls, texts, and chats every year. Um, I expect that will continue to go up. And so it's really you know I know your your focus here today is peer support, and that's exactly what what our warm line service is is it's an opportunity for for someone to to call in, talk with someone who has also struggled with their mental health and get a little bit of support, um, but they don't have to tell us really anything about themselves to get mm-hmm. that. And so we don't, um, there's no intake, it's free of charge, it's anonymous. Um, they can just reach out, you know, anytime we're open to, to talk and connect. And then you also uh, have a resource called Relate that is for teenagers and young adults. And, and what, what, is, what is Relate? Right, so Relate... Um, is a um, kind of a division, if you will, of the warm line that we've created specific to teenagers and young adults. And so it's staffed by, uh, that line is staffed by volunteers who are between the ages of 18 and 25 and have also struggled with their mental health. And so they are, they are there to, um, quote, relate to what's happening for, for teens and young adults right now and to provide support or, or resources if, mm-hmm. if necessary. And that's just delivered by online chat. So it's, it's an easy um, to access thing right from, our, right from the homepage of our website and from your phone. And, and, and right now, Shanna, as people are listening, can you give us the, the, the number? What is the warm line? How do I reach it? Sure. So um, you can reach the warm line in a, in a few different ways. Um, and you can call 855-WARM-LINE, um, or you can text SUPPORT. To eight five five one one, or you can visit our website at mentalhealthmn.org and join the online chat to get um, support from the warm line or mm-hmm. from Relate, or to gain some um, some information or, or referral information as well. All right, that is uh, Shanna Mulvahill, uh, Executive Director of Mental Health Minnesota. The toll-free number for the warm line again is eight five five warm line. Thank you, Shanna, for your time. Thank you so much. All right. Let's take uh, uh, more phone calls from listeners. Uh, in Plymouth, we have Tim on the phone. And Tim, we're talking about uh, peer-to-peer support groups. And what do you want to add to the conversation? Well, hi. I, uh, I've had a, the privilege of, uh, over the last year or so, uh, facilitating a peer support network uh, called the VPSN, Virtual Peer Support Network. And it's run through uh, the organization Wellness in the Woods. It's designed specifically to connect people who are, um, you know, there's many folks from the metro area who participate, but many folks who come from any corner of the state of Minnesota. And this particular Sunday uh, session that I run is geared towards uh, LGBTQ people who are uh, both in recovery and or uh, need support with their mental health issues. And are you seeing some success stories? How is it helping folks, Tim? Oh, it's amazing to watch the community that, that develops among the folks who participate and the, the vulnerability of sharing their stories and how much um, the kind of empathy from their own peers supports them. And you can just kind of oftentimes watch 
the the mood just shift and change the energy when you hear that you're not alone when somebody else gets it and folks who've had similar experiences and especially in communities where you know we have still in this it's so crazy to think in 2023 we have such stigma yet mm-hmm. uh, from faith communities and belief systems that 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 reject people who are LGBTQ people and families that reject their children and their brothers and their sisters. So um, having a support of, of peers is really, um, it's amazing to watch that transformation. It's powerful. Thank you. That's uh, Tim in Plymouth. And Bill, as I, I'm thinking about just sort of the simplicity of this, uh, and it uh-huh. makes me think about like, what are we doing just in general as a society? We keep talking about like, you know, you can talk and it, it, it's a safe space and people don't feel judged. Does that mean just in general conversation, we are very judgy and it's not safe to say well, <laughs> what you're really it, feeling? It, perhaps, you know, one of uh, my mentors is also facilitator Tommy would say, mm-hmm. it's simple but it's not always easy. Mm. And meaning that um, we learn as young kids how to be in the world. And a lot of it involves uh, making judgments. And sometimes that's useful, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, because we can't just be in analysis paralysis all the time. But those judgments then aren't helpful in a lot of situations as we're growing Mm -hmm. up. And so um, simply by tuning into where you're at and having a safe place, I think allows you to gain a wider perspective. Mm. And with that, you realize, hey, you know, this guy who I thought was, you know, different or, you know, fill in your adjectives, right? Um, He's just like me, really, in a different way. And I may not agree with him. That's what I was saying earlier. You know, support doesn't necessarily mean agreement or approval, but I may not agree with what he believes, but I can support him because I see that he's working at it. He's trying to change. Chelsea, anything you'd add there? You know, I'd say that a lot of people with a mental health issue or any non-neurotypical issue probably have had a very negative experience trying to share their story. And when you have that negative experience that one time, mm-hmm. you shield yourself, you protect yourself. You're not sharing now. Mm-hmm. So you got to have that safe space to be able to start to open up and realize there are people that care and that won't judge you. But sometimes you don't get that in, in regular society. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, take one more phone call before we're out of time. In Victoria, Pat is on the line. And, and Pat, briefly, what did you want to tell us about your experience with support groups? Pat, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you. What did you want to tell us? Okay, let me fix my phone here. Okay. Um, several years ago, like we're talking 30 years ago, when I was in my early 40s, I started a divorce support group. Um, I was a psychotherapist at the time, but and I was doing individual therapy for myself after a 14-year marriage. But I needed peer support. I needed friends, people to connect with. 
so I pulled some from my where I was working at the time. I was working in a hospital, um, and and one of my neighbors who wasn't even talking about her divorce, and we formed a real tight mutual relationship where we would go on retreats, where we would pick up the phone and, and talk with one another, and we learned from one another how to move forward, how to deal with our our grief, with our loss, with our depression. And so we continue on, and we're in different ages. And that's what I think is beautiful about a support group, is you're getting together for a reason, but you're learning to look at life through their eyes, through each other's eyes. And it's just, it, it, now I'm, you know, I've been married now, remarried for 27 years. I took five years off from relationships and things to work on myself and, and where I'm at and what I need to do differently. But those relationships have stayed and I think now, especially with the mental health crisis, how important it is to have support groups because I know it's really mm-hmm. hard for folks to get into therapy. Absolutely. Um, to there find therapists. A huge shortage. It's just part of that. Thank you, Pat, uh, for sharing that. Why we wanted to have this conversation is uh, we do have this shortage of mental health professional, uh, but there is no shortage of people who, uh, who want to share their stories and help others. Chelsea, anything you want to say in our last minute here? Yeah, I'll just throw out that you can go to NAMIMN.org and you'll find tons of support, not just peer-to-peer support groups. You'll find classes and trainings, uh, anything that you're looking for. I also will mention we have a couple great warm lines, but we also now have a national suicide hotline, which is 988. 988. Yep. Call or text that crisis line. And uh, Bill, in our last 30 seconds, uh, any words of encouragement for our listeners? Uh, hang in there, and also you can go to the Twin Cities Men's Center website, tcmc.org, and we have lots of resources. You can find a support group. You can uh, get access to it. And if you want to start your own, we do have a facilitator training manual. I think it's best to go to one first, but, you know, if you're someplace where you want to Start your own. I like that. I like that. Um, Um, I want to thank our guests and for uh, all of your the work that you're doing to help other folks. uh, And thank you to our listeners. As always, we've been talking with Bill Dobbs, who facilitates the Addiction Busters peer-to-peer support group at the Twin Cities Men's Center, and Chelsea Shoup from NAMI, who co-leads the organization's facilitator training. And we also heard from Shannon Mulvahill, the executive director of Mental Health Minnesota. Today's conversation was produced by Danelle Cloutier. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.